When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is the I Believe That We Will Win sports business podcast, The Sportacast. Explain. Oh, you're not an Uncle Sam's Army member, Scott? That is, uh, uh, I know World Cup. I know. You, you I will know. hopefully be hearing more of that. That's one of the, the big cheers that Team USA supporters uh, like to put out I'm, there when they're playing big games. I'm getting differing opinions on what would be a successful World Cup for the United States. It's survive the group stage, then it's the round of 16. I mean, they went from missing the World Cup so, you know, now you got Greg Berhalter's got the club here. Yeah. That seems like a success. I mean, I keep hearing the same thing. How far do they have to go for this to be a successful World Cup for the U.S. team? If you look at the betting odds, they're about a coin flip to make it out of the group stage. So into the into the group, the round of 16. So I think that is a success. And then anything after that is, is gravy on top. I think it's a really interesting question about the the pressure not on the players themselves because i don't think they necessarily feel this but the amount of pressure within our corner of the industry on on the the valuation and the the buy side the, the amount of pressure on this world cup to to do things for major league soccer and soccer in the us it, it's so immense right now um and i think that the next couple we're recording this literally right as 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 the us game kicks off um on on monday afternoon um i do think there's a whole lot of people investors uh both in clubs and sponsors in in soccer who are very eagerly and maybe even nervously awaiting what happens in this first three years. Oh, yeah, a flame-out would be absolutely terrible. A loss to Wales, a loss to England, and then, boom, wait a minute, who cares? They're done, and now we're you know we're, we're about the power brokers of, of How many conversations game. have you had, Scott, in the past five or even ten years about, about where MLS and, and soccer in the U.S. is going that mentioned this as one of the big events, the 2022 World yeah. Cup, the 2018 World Cup, obviously, U.S. didn't even play. We're hosting 
uh, the next men's world cup in four years. But th- th- to me, there's just so much pressure now in the next four years, starting with literally two minutes ago, starting yeah. with, with this U S world cup to, to, to really do something that is going to change the perception of soccer in America. I'm glad you have one eye on it. Cause like, you know, as we record, if you go up oh, Wales goal down one, nil, you know, <laughs> we'll see, I'll, I'll keep an eye on the, uh, on the side here. We, we, by the know. way, there's a pro- the household has a, a personal tie to the team. To the U.S. or to Wales? Yes, Tyler Adams, captain of the team, a product of Wappingers Falls, New York, my wife's hometown where she grew up and all that. She knows she knows Tyler's dad. So we we are uh, we are rooting for Tyler Adams. There you go. Very nice. Well, go, Tyler. Yeah, and then moving forward, I mean, yeah, but business of soccer, you mentioned all that. I mean, you have this Apple deal with MLS. You've got the World Cup coming to North America. Everybody talks about this momentum building for soccer. How much, how pivotal is it for that momentum to not only continue but grow is success of the U.S. team? Or is it enough that these big events are around and like the U.S. soccer fan can engage with, I'm rooting for England, I'm rooting for Brazil or Germany? Uh, or do you need the American homegrown? I mean, you saw it on the women's side. You see what it does. Everybody starts talking about it and, and, and following it. Um, I'm just curious how, how badly does the sport or does the sports business ecosystem of soccer need the United States team to make some noise? I, I think they need, I think they need it badly. And, and I remember eight years ago when the U S team, I, I believe it's the most watched soccer English language U S soccer game ever in America. But when they, when they played Portugal, um, I was down in Baltimore at the time, but, but I watched the game with like 40 or 50 people. It was a huge crowd of people. Almost none of them were soccer fans at all. And I don't think that that crowd gathers if it's not a U.S. game, not a meaningful Team USA game. So, so yeah, I think it's it's if the U.S. team goes on a big run here, I think it, it's going to be a bonanza for a lot of Americans who who would never have watched a World Cup game if the team wasn't playing or if the team wasn't playing well. So that's point one, and, and point two, which you you hinted at there. Think about what happens for. The, the, the kind of allure around the U.S. women's team when they come back from World Cups when they're successful. And I, I understand that the, the U.S. men's team is almost certainly not going to win the World Cup like the women's World Cup team does. But the halo is huge. And they come back and then a lot of people flock to NWSL games because they want to see Megan Rapino and they want to see Carly Lloyd. Um, if the U.S. team does well, and again, as we, as we started this off, I think by doing well gets out of the group stage and plays a really meaningful uh, round of 16 or even quarterfinals game, I think the numbers are going to be crazy, and I do think the halo effect coming down from that is going to be huge. Where I think things maybe differ a little bit, Scott, is in four years when the U.S. is hosting the World Cup. Then I think you get a lot of exposure to people. It's going to be in... I don't know the exact number, but probably about a dozen different U.S. cities in addition to a couple cities. But it's in just an event. I want tickets. It's not Taylor Swift, but it's I want to Ex- go exactly. So yeah. when you host it, I think it's a little different. But but in events like this, especially when there's games going on, essentially almost exclusively during the workday, um, during the week, yeah, I think the, the the U.S. team success I think is pretty critical to the way that Americans, uh, English speaking Americans at least at the very least, are going to think about are going to think about this event. Uh, l- let me bring in my NHL analogy that we've utilized for a bunch of things throughout the years. To really appreciate hockey, I think you need to attend an NHL game. You need to see it, feel, I mean, just feel the colder air as you walk in the bowl. There's a smell to a hockey arena. Of course, the sights and sounds, the bright ice, the white lights come. It's almost like a stage. You need to experience it, I think, either play it or experience it live to fall in love with the game. Now, to understand why soccer is exciting, and you know, you hear the criticism all the time, and I'm going to include my focus group of one. If I put on 
Name two MLS teams. And by the way, I'm not going to pick on MLS. If I put on two EPL teams, I can have Man City playing Arsenal or Chelsea. And my son will sit there and he'll be like, this is boring. <laughs> he didn't. He only played soccer when he was like five years old. He doesn't appreciate a perfect for first touch or settle or pass or, or run for space. He doesn't appreciate all that. He's just watching a game and he's all like, yep, nope, this is boring. However, I did take him to the Argentina-Chile Copa Final at MetLife Stadium. And we were in a section with the most raucous fans. They they were screaming bad words. He learned a terrible Spanish word that he wound up saying for the next six months. I'm not going to repeat it here. But man, did he have a good time. And it had nothing to do with the soccer on the field. It was the atmosphere. It was the event. It was the surroundings. And if you're going to really fall in love with soccer, you go to a World Cup game and you experience, whether it's a vuvuzela, whether it's drums, whether it's flares, whatever it is, you know that you are in the middle of an event that matters. That is how you rope in fans. And and, and the World Cup does that almost automatically, Scott. On, yes. on Friday, if you were to take him to any of the hundreds of watch parties that will be going on around the country for USA versus England, I imagine he will, regardless of what happens on the on the game itself, I think he will have a really good time because that that is created there. So so yeah, I think you're you're absolutely right about that. And the World Cup again is just a, a rare opportunity because it's once every four years. It's a rare opportunity uh, when, when the U.S. team is playing in a game like that and all around the country. People get excited for it. We can widen this conversation a little bit, Scott, to, to more broadly what's happening business-wise on the ground. There were some ticketing issues in day one and day two. Uh, we've had our first kind of real big style protest. The Iranian men did not sing their national anthem and a lot of the Iranian fans in the stands. Seems, seems risky to me. Persian, bringing Persian flags uh, and protests about the about the unrest that's been going on in Iran for the past uh, four or five months. Um, the alcohol has been a big topic of conversation in addition to all of the other kind of general controversies and, and bribery, et cetera, that was going on for, for, for in, in Qatar in the past 10 years. What are your thoughts so far? We sit here less than 48 hours into this tournament. How are things going so far on the business side? There ain't a damn thing that surprises me. It's a, I think, who was it that said that it's already a disaster. The question is, and you knew it was going to be a disaster going in. The question yeah. is, are we, are we ta- what scale of disaster are we talking? Unmitigated disaster, you know, burn it all down? Or, well, I'm always a believer in once you advance a little bit and, and the focus gets to the play, that's when FIFA uh, can, can sort of breathe easy because the focus really does really become about the soccer and people talk about the games and who can win and who can play. I mean, right now it's just starting. So there, there is a big focus. And I, I will uh, agree with Infantino with, like, if you can't go three hours without a beer, like you got bigger problems or whatever. <laughs> I mean, that diatribe that he gave about, you know, the rest of the world and the hypocrisy and the lecturing and the, I, my God, was that absolutely brutal. Yeah, totally. But he was right about the beer. I'm like, yeah. all right. I, this, this is a two-party discussion. FIFA and Anheuser-Busch. That's what this is. I paid X for a sponsorship. You are restricting the rights I thought I would have. How are you going to make me whole? What am I getting? Because I need some sort of clawback here because mm-hmm. I'm not getting what I thought I would get. That, yeah. That's a two-party discussion. If you can't go the game without your beer, tough. I mean, I, I just, I really don't have any sympathy for that. I, I really don't. But so we're going to have a disaster just uh, on the Richter scale of disasters. Are we going to have a one or are we going to have a 10? Yeah, there was a lot of conversation in Olympic circles when there were a number of Olympics in past years that that went on 
in settings that were maybe not entirely conducive to hospitality, that the Olympic afterwards gets a really big boost. And, and, and COVID, I think, kind of ruined that for or did ruin that for Tokyo. There's a lot of people who have circled the Beijing or the, 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 the Paris games on the calendar in two yep. years as like the thing they're all excited to because it's been a while since we had a, a return to normalcy. Normalcy. Exactly. Yep. Uh, and I do think in some ways the the North American and primarily in the U.S. 2026 World Cup is, is probably in some ways going to benefit from the whole host of both fans and more on our side, Scott, hospitality, corporate hospitality, sponsorship stuff, et cetera, bringing clients. A lot of that is not happening nowhere near the degree that it usually does in the World Cup. And I think a lot of people are going to be circling 2026 on the calendar as a time to do that. So you're talking it's all going to be pent up, pent up, right? Pent up that, demand. that the marketing budgets are going to be swollen by then and they just need a place to go. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Right, well, you, well, we know what happens every every four years. Do you know what happens every two years? Can I give you a guess? What happens every two years? Um, hmm, what happens every two years? This There's Senate elections one. in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> no, Bob Iger runs Disney. Oh, <laughs> I should have seen that coming. I was like, I how did he get coming. this one? I, I mean, you know what we're discussing. I'm trying to do a segue. You knew what we were talking about. Yeah, Bob Iger, he's back. He's Amazing. back at the mouse house. Two, two years ago, I uh, stepped aside. I mean, his, his handpicked guy, Bob Chapik, came in. And um, uh, it's a tough time, tough time in, in the Disney universe, especially uh, at ESPN, where you got to pay tons for programming and, and the margins aren't streaming or not what they were. And uh, I guess the board thought that Iger was, quote unquote, uniquely positioned to lead this company moving forward. So his job will be come in, right the ship while you come up with a succession plan. Boy, if everybody thought that wasn't important nice, in business, nice here's easy. lesson number 20. <laughs> yeah, you have to have a succession plan. Note David Stern to Adam Silver. They did it better than almost anybody else. And it, yeah, that's it's, my hot take. For sure. And when you mentioned it, David Stern to, to Silver, the as companies move along, uh, the, the people that are right to, to to be their leaders also change, right? And, and the person who was maybe right to run Disney 10 years ago may not be the right person now. So certainly interested to see what the... What, what, what's, what stems down from that. Uh, one of the big questions I have, Scott, is about, specifically because it's a sports business show, is about ESPN and more specifically about ESPN's streaming category. There's a lot of conversation now as Bob comes back about the economics of the streaming right now. It is, it is a money-losing endeavor, and it's not just a money-losing endeavor at ESPN or at Disney. It's, it's, it's true across the industry. Um, I do think when, if ESPN ever does offer ESPN and ESPN2, the big mothership channels over the top, I think that's going to be a pretty monstrous moment for our industry. And I am curious, and I unfortunately don't have the answer, and, and, and maybe Anthony Krupe on our staff might, but I am curious about... Well, only to get the answer out of him, you require a 30-minute <laughs> commitment. That's exactly. A it's own show. Jab at, at Krupe, um, yeah. But I am curious how much, what Bob Iger, under, under Bob Iger, ESPN was fairly resistant for a very long time to the to the streaming trend uh, it was actually one of the one of the criticisms of his certainly the end of his tenure from an ESPN standpoint um, but I am very curious about what his return means for how Disney thinks about streaming and, and specifically about how ESPN and maybe an over-the-top ESPN offering whether that is, is is more likely to come sooner or whether to come later I don't know, but when you ask about what's somebody worth, I can tell you this, stock jumped 8% on the news. And by the way, did you see some of the stories were like, I believe it was Variety, um, uh, where they, they reached out to some Disney employees on the news and they didn't believe it. They thought it was like a prank. <laughs> they, they just really did not believe that. And all of a sudden, they kind of said, oh, no, no, this is really happening. So right about now, jumped 8%. We're looking, and I'm on my phone here, so going quickly. I can't give you the market cap exactly what he's worth, but up almost 6% as we speak. 
So clearly, uh, clearly folks are happy that Bob Iger is back. But, you know, we, we've seen it. Uh, David Zaslov was talking about NBA rights and said, we don't need it. Like Warner Discovery, we don't we don't need it on TNT. Really, it's a lot of programming uh, you would lose there. Not only the games, but the shoulder programming. Can ESPN exist without the NBA? I know they can't exist without the NFL. And, I, and of course, they can exist. You know what I'm saying. But I mean, there's so much shoulder pro- programming. It's such a big draw. It's such big promotion for everything else they do. But the NBA is very similar. I mean, it's a huge investment, but we are hearing about what two, three x price increases for the next NBA deal. Uh, could the NBA go direct to consumer? Do do they need the middleman? Um, who needs who more? Uh, I'm saying right now, I'm saying ESPN needs the NBA more than the NBA needs ESPN. Another big one from a rights perspective that will be coming up soon on the horizon for ESPN is college football playoff. The playoff is almost definitely going to expand at some point very soon, if not next year, uh, in a couple of years when the ESPN deal, current deal uh, is up. There's a lot of resistance in college football to letting ESPN control the entire playoff as it does right yep. now. Um, but I imagine that's going to be another another piece of of rights that goes up by a pretty a pretty significant multiplier. Uh, but also ESPN is going to have to navigate the 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 feelings among a lot of conference commissioners that that ESPN is too powerful, and that's going to be a fairly delicate one as well. So so certainly in the next couple of years, college football playoff and the NBA, two of the biggest, if not the biggest things, I think from a from a U.S. rights standpoint, that will be on Bob's calendar. Yeah, I mean, and you were the first. I mean, you know better than anybody when all the change was going on college sports. You were like, I don't think everybody really appreciates how involved ESPN is in governing not only the bowl games, but the, the national champions. Like, they kind of own the stuff. They sell it. They own it. People don't understand that the, how, how closely intertwined that network and Disney is with the product itself. 100%. And now that as conference realignment happens and a lot of conferences, but the, the Big 12 just signed its deals, the Pac-12 is coming soon, the Big 10 just signed its new round of deals too. A lot of conference rights are up right now. I do think it's very difficult for groups like ESPN to kind of try to read the tea leaves and assess what's valuable yeah. and what isn't moving forward, especially as we look at like the like the Big Ten, sometimes we look at, at at huge decade long deals. I think it's hard to kind of figure that out. So I don't think it would be an exaggeration to think that for ESPN specifically, these next couple of years, maybe the most critical couple of years of leadership they've had in a long time. As, as media changes, as the pressures to deliver streaming kind of co- coincide with what we're talking about about the economics of streaming right now, I do think there's there's a lot of, from an ESPN standpoint that is going to be on Bob Iger's plate as he gets back into into things over at Disney. I mean, we've seen it before. Steve Jobs returned to Apple, albeit after a, a, a longer layoff. I, th- I think that's been pretty good for success. Apple. Yeah, yeah, I think Apple's. <laughs> you know, I, I'm I think that little upstart is going to do okay. I think they'll be fine. We'll see what happens at Disney. All right. Speaking of an upstart, I believe what did Wayne Gretzky once call the New Jersey Devils, the Mickey Mouse organization? Speaking of Disney, <laughs> Mickey Mouse to the Devils, right? Great called them a Mickey Mouse organization Great a while transition. back. They ain't Mickey Mouse right now. You know, they are, they are what? They're riding a 12-game winning streak. That's great. You and I don't really care about what happens on the ice, on the field. However, we did call over and say, we're just curious, what has been the effect in the coffers? Of this winning streak, and I, I know we, you know, we put out a story and, and we we delineated a bunch of stuff. You you want to tick off some of them? You want me to start? All I know is it's twelve in a row. And as we record, I hate that people are going to get this tomorrow morning because Connor McDavid's in town. So, but if they can go, they beat the Maple Leafs the other night. Then they beat the Senators. If they can dump the best player in the league and Connor McDavid and take this winning streak 
to 13. What do you think the tickets demand is going to be? Because I believe the next game after that is the Maple Leafs. You could have the, 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 the storied Maple Leafs at New Jersey, November 23rd, with the Devils on a 13-game winning streak. You might see some kind of record price for that place. Over the course of this winning streak, Scott, tickets, the, the full season equivalent sales are up 26% for the Devils in that stretch. Their first sellout of the year was, was, was last week against the Coyotes. All three games this week, Scott, so the Edmonton game you're talking about, the Toronto game you're talking about, and then Washington at the end of the week, all three of those games are already sold out. Uh, and I do think this gives. It's, but you're it's telling really, me I can't go if I want to. You're telling me I'll sold out. You could probably figure it out. You might need to. Make I'm going to find a way to or, go. If, I, or I, hit wait, the when, secondary when is, market. But when is when is the? Wait, so we got when? What's today's date? Today's the 21st. Monday is 21st. Reporting. So we're Wednesday. Yeah. We're Wednesday. Maple Leafs at Devils. Yeah. All right. Our practice, and I'm going to get to. I'm going to get to my focus group of one team. His team practice on Wednesday was canceled because we just tra- had a big travel tournament. We're heading to Toronto on Thanksgiving to take on Ontario's best. So coach said, guys, get some rest. We don't have practice Wednesday. If the Devils have 13 in a row and they are playing the Maple Leafs, by darn it, I am going to be at the Prudential Center. Look at that. There you go. T- uh, secondary market sales up 20%, by the way, Scott. So you're going to have to pay more. So than, uh, have, yeah, pony up. Would have. It'll be 30% by the time that happens. I, I do think this story is a really interesting capsule of we often talk on this show about how winning in a certain year really doesn't affect the valuation of a club. We, we value the Devils right now at about $825 million. That's probably roughly exactly the same as what it was 15 games ago before this, mm-hmm. this winning streak started. But a big winning streak like this really does affect the economics of a single season from sure. a revenue standpoint. And, and, and just this little snippet, we're, we're what, a, maybe a, thir- a quarter of the way through the NHL season. But already the Devils are seeing a lot of those ticket uh, revenue stuff that we're seeing. We're seeing massive social growth. We're seeing the, the, the opening of ticket sale promotion emails is up 126%. Jersey sales for Jack Hughes and I'm sure for, for Jesper Brad are also huge. There's so much kind of ancillary business things that even just a, a really hot start at the beginning of the year, not even a full season's worth of, of success, really does affect the, the, the one-year costs and benefits and, and, and P&L of, of a sports team. So I think the story by Barry is actually a really good example of the valuation of the team probably hasn't changed, but the economics of this season, I think have probably already significantly changed just because the team got hot for, for a stretch in, uh, in early November. Yeah. I may have been looking at my phone to see when they played the day here. So correct me. Did you talk about the concessions? Did you give that number? I didn't mention the concessions yet. Uh, that's, that's another see, good To one. me, yeah. that's the big one because concessions are up 40%. And that is some high margin business right there. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm selling more beer and more hot dogs and more French fries, the, those are high margin items. Speaking of which, smaller numbers, higher margins. Yeah. 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 Now I'm going to go back to like the focus group of one because we just got back from St. Louis. And by the way, we played the tournament at the Centene facility. That's where the Blues practice. Unbelievable facility. Four rinks, outdoor rink, which was freezing for our game. Um, but really, really great facility. But I took in the Blues and the Ducks. was hoping Trevor Zegras would do something special. He did not. Um, but I spent a fortune at the concession <laughs> stand for chicken, like two chicken nuggets, three hot dogs, three waters. By the way, if you pay with Apple Pay, the waters were a dollar. Normally, it'd probably be like seven or eight. It was like 65 bucks. Like, man, I just... Uh, fans, that drives me crazy. I don't know how fans put up with this day in and day out. But I, I'm in a little humble break here. You want some fun stuff? Yeah, go ahead. All right, so... So we have our second, a second or third game of the tourney. We're playing the junior LA Kings. 
who came out in their purple and gold. I really like that. You know, I used to have a Luke Robitaille purple and gold, and now you know to to kind of pick up the phone and be able to chat with Luke about sports business stuff's pretty cool. Uh, but guess who was sitting next to me and uh, analyzing focus group of one's performance in the net has a tie to both St. Louis and New Jersey and the Devils. Works Mar- for the Devils. Marty lives Brodeur. in St. Martin Brodeur brought nice. his son Max. So I'm watching my son play goalie with Marty Brodeur critiquing. <laughs> it was and that's to, see, amazing. to see the other dads are kind of like, is that Marty Brodeur? Like, that's Marty Brodeur. And of course, he, you know, he was wearing the who, who devil better? shirt. Who better? Yeah, who yeah. better to say, well, you know, maybe could have should have kicked that to the corner a little bit further. But uh yeah, I'm not I'm not so sure the focus group of one was so thrilled. I think he felt some extra pressure because Marty was in the crowd. Like he knew he was there to watch him play. But he knows who Marty Brodeur is, I guess, because Oh, he's talked with Marty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, they've they've talked goaltending. They absolutely no, he Marty really explained to him what makes like Carrie Price better than everybody else. And it's got nothing to do with reflexes, and it's got nothing to do with this. It's all the computer in your head. Like you're looking at the play develop, you know who's left, who's lefty, who's righty, who's coming, where's the pass going, what are the tendencies of the guy. Uh, and he said that uh, Carey Price can do it all. Like he, that the processor just fires faster than everybody else, so he gets to the spot a millisecond faster, and therefore makes more saves. I just assume typically that if you retired before 2010, that no teenager know, <laughs> knows who you are. Well, if he as, has not, as an athlete had, anymore, if he had not met him, like when, when yeah. we go to Prudential Center, he does. You know, that's one of the good gigs here. He's afforded the opportunity to kind of meet a bunch of people, and you know, he has actually just sat down and talked goaltending with Marty. So, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. I'll tell you a quick fun story about the about that St. Louis Blues arena from a, from a couple of years ago. I was talking to an executive over at Levy, the concessionaire, and and they do concessions over at St. Louis. And one of the things that they pulled data wise to try to figure out their concession strategy is they were pulling national grocery store sales data, and they were trying to see what popped out from city by city. And one of the things they saw, and I believe I have this right, they saw that St. Louis people in St. Louis were buying way more ginger than people were buying in any any other city in the country. And in the middle of the blues season, they added a ginger pot sticker to the menu at one of their concessions. And from that point forward, it was I think it was the highest selling or maybe the highest margins. It was one of the most successful concessions. You better have the answer to my question had. here. You better have the answer to what's <laughs> up with the ginger in St. Louis. You better know the I answer. I don't know. I don't think they ever oh, knew. I think the, 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 the point, and that was my question also, and, and his point, I thought it was actually a really interesting snapshot into how companies like that are using data and specific data sets. But he was like, we don't actually need to, to really know as long as we know that it's popular and we can very quickly get it on the menu somewhere in the arena, um, that, that's beneficial for us. So, so financially, it ended up being really good. Um, but I would never have thought that that a group like a, a company like Levy it, it, that that's a data Be set that they nimble. care about, and it t- totally makes sense now that he explained it. Well, you know who ran the Levy data stuff? You know who who ran all that? Jamie Faulkner, now the president mm. of business operations at the Chicago Blackhawks. There you go. Yeah, so you know, we'll have, we'll, now I'm going to go email Jamie saying, "Evan just told a story on the podcast. <laughs> Is this accurate? And tell me what you saw and Tur- what's going turns on." Turns out it was Aramark, and it was yeah, in exactly. Chicago, and it yep. wasn't Ginger; it was Chives. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> By the way, you know how you get that on the menu quickly? Ow. You don't. Act, you just don't even put any ginger in it. Just call. Oh, it, just gosh. call it ginger. You're so cynical. <laughs> All right, well, yes, I am. All right, let's finish up with Novak Djokovic. He won the ATP Finals, four point seven million dollars. And the interesting part here from Levac Abbas and Kurt Badenhausen, we had a shot here where Iga Swiatek could have been the highest paid tennis player this year. But Djokovic, because he won, because of that prize money, $4.7 million, 
eked her out by $59,000. It's been at least 20 years, I believe, Scott, according to Lev, uh, since a, a woman won more on court. This is not endorsements or off-court earnings, but on-court prize money won more than the, the highest earning man. Um, and it would have happened this year. A shout out to Iga. Obviously, she had a, a, an incredible year. There is not equal pay in professional tennis right now. It's not even close. There's equal pay in a lot of the majors, but uh, outside yeah. of the majors, there's very much not. So the fact that she was even close to Novak, who had um, a rough start to his year, but ended up having a pretty darn good year, just shows how dominant that she was relative to the rest of the women on tour. Um, but yeah, that would have been a, a fairly historic milestone. It was, it was, uh, she was not that far off, uh, for, from his earnings, but, uh, yeah, really interesting little snapshot in the way that, 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 that people get paid and, and, and Novak who had a rough start to his year, Scott, if you remember, he was not at the Australian open, was not even not allowed the US open. to go in, in, in a very controversial way. Uh, I think given all that for him to end this year as the highest earning, uh, tennis player, male or female, uh, on court for the entire year is, uh, is a great result for him as well. All right. Now we also have to tout ourselves here because we have to change our ending and everything because today was launch day for La Previa. Mm-hmm. Asla Pelit and Boris Gardner, co-host of our Spanish language sports business podcast. So if you are bilingual, if you love to hear this in El Español, uh, go ahead and download La Previa at your app store, wherever you get the apps. But, you know, I've been talking about an expansion of the Bloomberg Network, the media, or the Bloomberg. Uh, I went back to where we used to work, the Sportico Media Network. Well, the, that there we're here. It is no longer soon. It is no longer coming. It is now. It is here. And I, I can now tease a little bit more. Uh, we were waiting to get this. I think you're going to see a rather, a rather quick expansion from here on out with some other offerings that you're going to enjoy. Wow, Scott, you tease them with the what will soon be and the day we get what will soon be. You're more, already more, teasing more, them. More what will soon be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What will soon be another expansion of the Sportacast Media yeah, Network. All I need to make sure is to know that I'm Sportico, not at Bloomberg any further. There you go. Yeah, that's I used to say, I mean, how many times in my life have I said, or have you said, the Bloomberg Business of Sports Report? I mean, it's just so many damn times that it's I just I sometimes when I'm cold calling people, I'm like, hi, my name is Evan. I'm a reporter at Bloomberg. Sorry, I mean, I'm a reporter at <laughs> <laughs> Free publicity from Bloomberg. Anyway, he is Evan Novi Williams on the Twitter, Novi underscore Williams. I'm Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. Our producer is Matt Whitehurst. Thank you very much, Matt. More work for you now and more to come. Our digital media editor is Core Veltman. She loves it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of the Sportico Media Network.